Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Let's see. Hey, James. 4 million point one. What, what you on. doing, James? Come on, 4.4. Come on, James. four days left. James! But what? What? What What are you doing? I, I, I'm looking at the Kickstarter. What Kickstarter? The MST3K Kickstarter. There's only four days left, and they're so close to 4.4, which could have nine episodes. But then they could possibly get to 5.5, and there was 12 episodes and 12 shorts. You what? James? What? James? What? James? Calm down. Calm no, down. No. You're, you're messing up with the whole vibe here. Like, I've got all of this stuff set up because we're, we're dropping this episode on Cinco de Mayo. So I've got, like, I've got, like, all the food and the chips and the salsa. And look, I've got a sombrero for you. And, like, uh, should, should, we really, no, should we really be doing a Cinco de Mayo sketch? I mean, we're as Why white not? as white gets. Like, scientists have stuck our skin to try to make better solar panels. Yeah. This would get problematic real quick. This, this is a mistake. Yeah, just g- give me the piñata tray. Also, it's very, no. very visual. Yeah, true. This is an audio medium. But give me the piñata. What, what? No, it's my piñata. Give, give me the piñata tray. No, no, no. No, no, no. It, it, it looks like moon. What? What, what happened? What? It, it's full of... My God, it's full of... Hellstrom Watch. Okay. Uh, we've got a bunch of cool stuff going on right now in Marvel. I'm just going to pretend like that opening sketch, we're just going to blow right by that, because, yeah. Uh, I wrote that in five minutes. <laughs> uh, Chloe Zhao, director of The Eternals, won Best Director at the Oscars for Nomadland, which also won Best Picture. So you can expect any trailers that come out for The Eternals to hype up the fact that it is from Academy Award-winning director Chloe Zhao. We'll talk about that in a minute, actually. Right. Uh, in addition, there is a rumor, and let's, let's you know, whole, whole salt shaker in with this one, but there is a rumor that Marvel and Sony may have reached a deal to share the character of Norman Osborn across the MCU and Sony's cinematic universe of Marvel movies or whatever they call it. Oh god, I still hate that name so much. So, anyway, so the ru- that that's the rumor is that Marvel wants to do something big with Norman Osborn and are trying to reach a deal, may have potentially already reached a deal with Sony so that Osborn could play a bigger role in the MCU. That could be really interesting. I wonder who's going to play Norman Osborn. Yeah, it'd be I, I don't know. It, it I have my issues with past Spider-Man, pre-MCU Spider-Man movies, but it's real hard to top Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, specifically. Mm-hmm. There's an actor... Even though, I, even though I didn't like the Goblin suit, I thought his performance as Osborn was great. I've been watching a lot of the British cop show Line of Duty recently, and there's an there's actor... Good things about that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, each season kind of has its own arc, but with recurring characters. Uh, it's good stuff. 
there's an actor in there who might make a really good uh, Norman Osborn, although it mm-hmm. may just be because I've been watching the show a lot. His name's Adrian Dunbar. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. He's got kind of right, the right look for it. Yeah, kind of like the right look. Of course, you know, I'm sure some people who are more familiar with his work, work beyond Line of Duty are, like, yelling at the iPad right now or iPod or... What do people listen to these things on? Huh. Uh, phones. They listen to them on Victophone? Victograph? <laughs> Victrola? Um, so I, I've seen some some big names thrown around uh, in fan casting kind of uh, uh, posts before with different suggestions. Um, I've seen John Hamm come up. I've seen uh, Matthew McConaughey come up. I've seen Mark Strong come up. Uh, I don't know if I really buy any of those. No. But, but I could. But I, I almost feel like it needs to not be someone too famous. You know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, it's always, that's always a hard thing when like the the star persona and the character persona are like clashing with each other. Yeah. Like McConaughey would be a clash there. Yeah. 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 Uh, one person suggested Tom Hanks, which I just thought was funny. <laughs> You know what I want to see Tom Hanks do again? Comedy. Yeah. I want, like, a, a, like an 80s-style Tom Hanks comedy again. Yeah. That would, that would be fun. It would. Um, but yeah, so so it sounds like Marvel might have something in mind for Norman Osborn. Um, also, Russell Crowe may have... Well, not may have. If we believe Russell Crowe. If we take Russell Crowe at his word. He says that he is playing Zeus in Thor Love and Thunder. I mean, it's possible. Which, I mean, that's kind of perfect casting. I can see that. Of course, you, you know what this means Marvel really, really ought to do? What's that? It means they really ought to cast Henry Cavill as Hercules. Oh, no, 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 no. Henry, I don't want Henry Cavill. I, I still want Jason Manzoukas as Hercules. I feel... It would be so good. It would be <laughs> has the right intensity for it. It would be so much fun. Like, because you got to understand, like, Chris Hemsworth does Thor very broadly. Yes. You got to get somebody who can do Hercules even bigger. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'll just ignore that we blew right past my Man of Steel joke. Um, there was a joke in there? Russell Crowe played Jor-El in Man of Steel. So my joke was, oh. if Russell Crowe is Zeus, Henry Cavill should be Hercules, because in Man of Steel, one is Jor-El and the other is Superman. Never heard of it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so we, we still don't know really anything about the plot of Thor Love and Thunder, so who knows if Russell Crowe was being serious or, like, speaking euphemism, he could just mean, like, I'm going to do God stuff, because that's what you do in Thor movies. Who knows? But... I am on board for Russell Crowe playing Zeus, especially if it means we're going to get Hercules. Yeah, I, I, I've really been wondering what they're going to do with Marvel Hercules for a while now. I'm looking forward to Hercules. I've always kind of saw him as the replacement for Thor in the MCU, so maybe not. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, yeah, I mean, so like in 60s Marvel, like Hercules shows up, well, he shows up in Thor, but he starts showing up in other Marvel stuff as kind of the Thor stand-in. Like, yeah. like just after the kooky quartet era proper, like, Hercules starts showing up in Avengers stories because Thor isn't around anymore. 
Mm. And so he sort of fills that role in those stories. Um, although he, he sort of grows into his own character. And I think the, the struggle, and I, we've talked about this before, the struggle with doing Hercules in the MCU is that so much of Hercules' personality has been grafted onto the MCU version of Thor. Yeah. That you have to figure out how to differentiate the two again. And I think you're right. Casting someone like Mansukas would be awesome. Yes. Because that would... He's someone who can match and even exceed the the sort of uh, kookiness of Hemsworth's Thor. Yes. Plus, plus, he's actually Greek, so... Right, right. Greek ancestry, anyway, so... Uh, that would be lots of fun, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, on to things that we know a little more about that aren't just sort of suggestion and rumor. Uh, there is a trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah! Like, I love how they did this. Because, yeah. because um, the main actor, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, Simu Liu. Simu Liu, thank oh, you. Liu. Um, was saying, you know, we might get a poster today. And it didn't drop the poster. It was like, hey guys, here's the poster. We're supposed to get the trailer in a couple of weeks. Like, like this poster is an awesome birthday present for me. Yep. And Marvel responded with, well, how about this trailer is and, a birthday like, present for you? And let's be honest, it's just kind of an okay poster. Yeah, the poster's eh, okay. Like, it's just a character poster. Like, it's not any, it's just him in kind of a vaguely heroic pose. Looking vaguely bored, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it looking very serious. Yeah. You know, like stoic, I think, is probably the word for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but and that and so that's what he thought was being released on that day was the poster. Yes. And then they surprised him for trailer, which I thought was really cute. Yes. Yes. And it's a good trailer. It is a good trailer. Like, I have shown this trailer to people who have who have no interest in any Marvel movie but they got excited about seeing this Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah, and and the, one of the things that really stands out, besides having an awesome cast, like Simu Liu looks like he's going to be very good as Shang-Chi. Uh, Tony Lung as uh, Wenwu, who I think is supposed to be the Mandarin. Um, Tony Lung is awesome. Like, he's in a whole bunch of my favorite Hong Kong uh, genre movies. Uh, he was one of the leads in um, Infernal Affairs, uh, which got remade in the U.S. as The Departed. Hmm. Um, he's in Chunking Express. He's in uh, Hard Boiled, like all kinds of stuff. Like, he's been around for a while, and he's awesome. Um, and and of course we've got uh, people like uh, like Michelle Yeoh playing supporting roles. Uh, and plus, it it's real pretty. That that's really what stands out about the trailer to me is it's very well shot. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense once you realize the cinematographer on this movie was the cinematographer on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Ooh. He was the cinematographer on all three of the Matrix movies. Oh, okay. He was the cinematographer on Spider-Man 2. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yep, 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 uh, yep. In fact, he, he's a favorite of Sam Raimi because he was also cinematographer for Darkman and Army of Darkness. That... That scene of Dr. Octavius falling backwards. Mm-hmm. Alfred Bentley, yep. Oh, yeah, yep. that could be good or, stuff. Or, or Spider-Man stopping the train. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's too, too isn't it? Before yep. it was a meme. Um, and also, but but especially, I think, for the purposes of thinking about the, the Shang-Chi trailer, 
the Matrix and Scott Pilgrim make a lot of sense as touchstone. Like, like this is a guy who is used to filming loud martial arts action. Okay. Uh, Bill Pope is the cinematographer's name. For what I've heard that name before. Okay. Yeah, he, he's he's awesome. Um, and, and so it just it looks really good, and and it's doing some interesting things stylistically. Um, it looks like. Wenwu, who I guess is supposed to be the Mandarin, uh, the Ten Rings have been reimagined as like, like Chinese martial arts style bracers that he wears on his arms. Yeah, which makes sense. I can see that. Yeah, and it gets over the weird kind of silly 1960s Mandarin. This one does ice. This one does fire. This one does right. Yeah, it remains to be seen what abilities they convey. Yeah. Um, it looks like they make him stronger in some way, but beyond that, we don't really know. And this kind of harkens um, back to Shang-Chi's origins with, you know, originally he was the son of Fu Manchu. Right, right. Who was a right. character uh, that Marvel licensed. Yes. So Fu Manchu is a, a criminal mastermind, yellow peril type villain from the early 20th century, really. Like, what, 1930s? Earlier. Okay. But, but very early from Pulp Fiction. Like, in, in novels and things. Like, dime um, novel pulp fiction. Like, Penny right, Dreadfuls. Right, right. And, 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 and sort of was variously popular over the years. Had s- series of movies in different eras. There were, there were Fu Manchu movies with Boris Karloff. There were Fu Manchu movies with Christopher Lee. Um, rather infamously, there was a very, very bad Fu Manchu movie... Uh, with Peter Sellers, it was I think his last movie, where he w- he double cast himself as Fu Manchu and uh, Nayland Smith, the uh, protagonist. Wait, was it worse than the Christopher Lee one? Yes. Wow, because I... Fu Manchu long history outside of comics, but then in the seventies, Marvel gets the the comics rights to the character and rather than doing a straight adaptation of the novels what they do is they incorporate Fu Manchu into the Marvel universe through the character of Shang-Chi who is uh his son yep jumping on that Bruce Lee um kung fu film right trend right. yes so so the Shaw Brothers stuff was big Bruce Lee was big and and Marvel capitalizes on that well and also I think slightly earlier maybe Marvel had introduced Iron Fist. Like, we're, we're pretty close to the introduction of Iron Fist when Shang-Chi shows up. But I think Iron Fist came a little earlier. I thought Shang-Chi came earlier. Hold up. Did he? Shang-Chi's first appearance is Marvel's Special Marvel Edition 15, December 1973. Iron... Okay, so that is first. Uh, Iron Fist is not till 74. Yep. Yep. Shang-Chi okay. came before. So Shang-Chi came first. Yeah. Um, but-, but in any case... Marvel was all in on martial arts stuff. Yes. Um, and, and so they, they introduced Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, who is the son of Fu Manchu, but turns against his father and and uh, joins in the fight against his criminal empire. Yes. Um, it is so easy. Like, it makes so much sense for the MCU. Because, so, and the problem with, with that story is that eventually Marvel lost the rights to Fu Manchu. Yes. And then they couldn't reference who Shang-Chi's father was anymore. And they just, they used various euphemisms for him. Um, they, they, they would come up with different names that would be used instead. Um, and I think they even uh, pull one of those things where, well, Fu Manchu was just one of the many names he's gone by over the years. 
Which, again, that's fine. For comics, that works. Yeah. But in that same vein, it is so very easy for a movie version to pull out the Fu Manchu stuff entirely and just swap in the Mandarin. Because the Mandarin was basically Silver Age Marvel doing a Fu Manchu character anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is definitely Euro, um, Yellow Peril. Because a thing, a thing we haven't really talked about is that those original Fu Manchu novels are really, really racist. Yes. yes. And, and most of the movie versions are also pretty racist, what with the white actors in Yellowface and all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like early Charlie Chan movies as mysteries. But they're real problematic. Oh, they're real problematic, man. They're, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, so it is for the best that this movie has almost an entirely Asian cast um, with an Asian director. Um, it, you know, it, it, there's there's a sense of them that, that Disney and Marvel are trying everything they can to avoid falling into the trap of doing those kind of old-fashioned stereotyped stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one exception that I've seen in terms of casting uh, who is not uh, Asian is uh, the... <laughs> Talk about uh, weird uh, comic stuff. Razor Fist is in this movie. Wow. Uh, which Razor Fist is a guy who has swords for hands. Yes. Uh, and and in the movie, he is being played by uh, Florian Muntanu. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, so apologies. Uh, but uh, he is also the guy who played uh, 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 Ivan Drago's son in Creed 2. I've not seen Creed 2. I've not seen any of the Creed I've never seen a single Rocky film. That is disappointing. They I, are they are quite good. Uh, but it, so in Creed two, like the the sort of, without getting into the the specifics of it, it is Michael B. Jordan's character fighting the son of Dolph Lundgren's character from Rocky four. Okay. And and so the guy playing Razor Fist played Dolph Lundgren's son. Okay. So he's kind of got that look, you know. <laughs> he gotcha. looks like a guy who could be Dolph Lundgren's son. Gotcha. And that makes sense for that makes sense for a Marvel villain in a kung fu movie called Razor Fist. <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, Razor Fist is goofy. Yeah, well, there's been a bunch of them. I think there's been like three Razor Fists in the comics. But but yeah, Shang Chi: Legend of the Ten Rings. It looks fun. Um, I still am crossing my fingers and hoping that we get to see Fin Fang Foom in his purple shorts. But I know that's a long shot. Oh, that'd be great there. Don't you know? But that's not all, because we also had another video drop uh, very recently. Marvel, to celebrate movie theaters beginning to reopen more and the ability to release more movies in theaters again, put out kind of a phase four sizzle reel around the theme of welcome back to the movies. Yeah, like, so we thought we might be getting an, an Eternals trailer this morning. Right. Which, which we do get a first look at the Eternals. So that's, it was almost true. Yeah. Kinda. But, but yeah, it's a very, it's a very cool video in that it begins as more of a recap of 
sort of the MCU as it stands. And there's the, the great voiceover from Stan Lee. Like, oh, I loved it so much. It's good. And the Stan Lee voiceover sort of culminates with the crowd reaction from the end game final battle. Like, it all just sort of blends together. It's so good. Yeah. It, but then they move on to uh, bits of footage from the Shang-Chi trailer, but basically just running through their Phase 4 stuff. So, bits of footage from Shang-Chi. Um, the first footage from the Eternals. So, what do you think of what we did see of the Eternals? Uh, I could not tell a dang thing from it. Well, so, here's the problem, is I don't know anything about the Eternals, except no. that I like the new gods. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that makes sense, yeah. Like, hmm. like every time I look at the Eternals, it's like, yep, Jack Kirby wasn't done with the new gods when he went back to Marvel. <laughs> nope, <laughs> no, It's just like, <laughs> okay. Um, I know there, I know the Celestials are involved. I know there's, like, that they're basically new gods. They are, they are super-powered beings. They, that they run into Thor sometimes. My problem with the Eternals is Jack Kirby already did the New Gods at Marvel before he created <laughs> the New Gods. They were called the Inhumans. But the Inhumans are boring. Yes. <laughs> it, is a sta- it is a stated fact that I fall asleep every time I'm trying to read an Inhumans issue. Like, like I think, Even guest appearances somewhere else. I think the Make Ours Marvel podcast is about to get to the point where in the Thor comic, the backup stories switch from being Tales of Asgard to being inhuman stuff and I'm really dreading it. Oh, so they're moving from one boring back boring backup to another boring backup. But at least the first boring backup had Thor in it. Uh, this is true. And the Warriors 3. Yes. Like name an name an inhuman other than the royal family. Um Miss Marvel. <sighs> I knew that was coming cuz that's the only other one that anyone can ever think of. <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm nothing if not lazy, Trey. <laughs> but then by the same token, name it Eternal, right? Cersei? Yes. Because she was the Avengers. She was in the Avengers with the leather jacket. Right, right. And um, I, will, I will say this. I am looking forward to Kit Harington as Dane Whitman. Oh, yeah. He's going from one sword-carrying um, hunk to another sword-carrying hunk. Does this man just always get cast to carry around swords? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's good at it. I mean, I guess he has sword training, so that um, takes I'm, time I'm looking off. forward. I'm looking forward to Kamel Nanjani's character, even though, again, I don't really know who he is. Yeah, but he says he, he says he based his performance on Bruce Willis in Die Hard. So, come to the coast, have you laughs. <laughs> In fact, that's the thing. The cast, the, the one thing that those clips in the, the sizzle reel hammer home is Marvel's real good at casting stuff because they've got fantastic people in this. Yeah. Huh. But again, it all seems kind of generic. I don't know what's going on. Uh, although, we do get a line there. Um, woman who is in Crazy Rich Asians and Captain Marvel, by the way, playing a different character, uh, says, we changed everything. That's Cersei. Is that Cersei? Yeah. Uh, Gemma Chan, right? Yeah, Gemma Chan. Thank you. I can't remember. I'm horrible with names, guys. I apologize. Uh, yeah, that, that's Cersei. Any recent actor, I'm horrible with names. 
if, if they have not appeared in an episode of You Must Remember This podcast, I don't if, remember their if name. If you cannot link them within six degrees to the movie The Thin Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> Although, honestly, you could probably do that pretty easy with Jimmy Stewart, who appeared lots of modern day characters. And, uh, and then, uh, oh, actually, even easier than that, you've got um, Cesar Romero yep. uh, appearing yep. in the first Thinman movie, playing the yep. skeezy boyfriend. And I should probably stop talking now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the, so Eternals, I, I think that's the thing, is we need to see a full trailer. But okay, what I was getting at, though, is she, um, Jim and uh, Jim and um, Chan. Jim and Chan's, thank you. Jim and Chan's character um, is saying, we've changed everything. Are they implying that the Eternals created the conditions for the Marvel Universe to exist? Potentially. So the the Eternals, I do know this much. The Eternals are kind of a Marvel riff on Chariots of the Gods. Mm-hmm. Well, that's which, because which is the whole because Jack Kirby was really into that idea. Well, because the the new gods were also kind of a Chariots of the Gods thing. Yeah, like oh, Jack Kirby let us know some ancient astronauts. Yeah. Oh, and even uh, the the Kree stuff. Was chariots of the gods, right? Yeah, because they left ce- they left centuries on Earth from when they dabbled in Earth stuff, going back to the dawn of mankind. Yep. So, it's... but but yeah, I, but this is the first glimpse I think we've gotten of that kind of chariots of the gods concept in the MCU specifically. Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, you kind of had that kind of hinted because they're very clear that like the Norse version the, the MCU version of Norse gods are aliens. Right. Or, or from other dimension. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's it's good. I mean, again we, we get very, very short glimpses of, of the movie. Um, it looks pretty. Um, it has good people in it. We need to see a full trailer because right now they're not giving any hint really as to what the plot even is. No. No, they're not. And uh, it comes out in November, Trey. I don't yeah. know what's going on here anymore. Of course, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know what's going on with any kind of movie anymore because you know. So comes out in November. I could see them dropping something during the Comic Con at home this summer. Yeah, like dropping a trailer then, and yeah. then ramping up the marketing from from there on. Um. So some other things that were announced in this trailer. Uh, we have. A new name for the... Actually, Trey, you've got a list here, don't you? (laughs) I do, yeah. So two of the movies that are in Phase 4 have been given official titles instead of just the generic, like, Part 2 title. So the sequel to Black Panther is now officially called Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And again, really interested to see how this one turns out with the death of Chadwick Boseman, who, by the way, was robbed at the Oscars. (laughs) Fair. Um, but really interested to see how that pans out. Yeah. I, I mean, we've speculated about this before. We can't really go into further detail about it because we know nothing about it, just like everybody else. Um, also, Captain Marvel 2, which has a release date of November uh, 11th, 2022, which yeah. it's nice of Marvel to plan my birthday for me. Because <laughs> uh, usually my birthday movie is a Bond film. But as you see here, they decided to release a movie exactly on my birthday. <laughs> In fact, how old will I be? Will I be? I'll be 39, I think. No, I'll be 38. I don't know how old I'll be. <laughs> I, I, 
I was born to your Ghostbusters came out. How old will Ghostbusters be? <laughs> <laughs> is, the, is that how you gauge your age now? By what anniversary release of Ghostbusters is on home video? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, considering the last one to come out was the 35th anniversary, I'm currently 35. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, so Captain Marvel 2, retitled as The Marvels. Yeah. Because Which makes sense, because you got Carol Danvers. Yep. You got Kamala Khan. Yep. And you got Monica Rambeau. Yep. And in the logo they debuted uh, for the Marvels, the S at the end of Marvels is the like swooshing logo for Ms. Marvel. Yep. Um, also, speaking of Ms. Marvel, we can kind of divert here for a second. We did get set photos. Um, some... Some illicitly taken set photos, looking at her costume right. in that upcoming film, and um, all I gotta say, it looks good. Yeah, comics accurate. Yeah, looks comic accurate. That's all I can say. Yeah, um, and some people were were complaining about like the texture of it or something, but as as uh, a, a comics person that I follow on Twitter, who I'm I'm blanking who it was now, but uh, but they they basically said like. Most comic superhero costumes, as designed for the page, would not work exactly that way on film because they just come across as flat. Like, yeah, you have you have to add some detail work to give them depth and dimension and and like allow the light to catch them and things. Yeah, and you know it could be worse. You could get basketball fabric Spider-Man suit. That we got right. Amazing which, Spider-Man, which, which wasn't my least favorite thing in the world, but it was definitely a choice. Oh yeah, that was a choice. Um, in addition to Ms. Marvel's costume, there was also a uh, behind-the-scenes set photo uh, with Jeremy Renner in his new Hawkeye costume for the Disney Plus series. Also, very comics accurate. Yeah, and specifically, so. Hawkeye's complicated, both in comics and in movies, because in movies he never wears the same thing twice, and in the comics he has changed costumes more times than most heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but when we say comics accurate, specifically it looks like the Matt Fraction run. Yeah. Uh, where it's the, the purple and black with sort of the purple arrowhead logo across the chest. Yep. Which is simple. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I would prefer having a comics accurate classic Hawkeye costume. Uh, with, with the H on the forehead? Yeah, H on the forehead, a little cat's eye mask, but I'm not getting that. Yeah, that's never going to happen. No, no. I don't think they the, can... In terms of the rest of the outfit, his Age of Ultron costume came closest to looking like it. Yes. Like, with sort of the, the cloak-like tunic and everything. Like, the like it looked like it minus the mask. Yeah, but they're not going to... They're not going to be able to pay Jeremy Renner enough to wear that costume the way I want. No, well, I Jeremy Renner strikes me as the kind of guy who wouldn't want to wear a mask. Mm. Like he wants his face to be visible. Mm. Uh, but anyway, but but this costume looks good. Um, yeah. And, also, and this is real. Yeah. Um, yeah. We also get, um, of course, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Quantumania. Quantumania. Volume 3 of Guardians. Volume 3 of Guardians. Um, uh, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. Uh, uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Third Spider-Man. Um, something about a Fantastic Four movie. And, right. Uh, um, which, yeah. which I didn't even think about this. But of course. Of course. 
if you're going to debut the Fantastic Four in the Marvel Universe, you do it in Phase 4. Yep, yep. Because they, th- they made us think it was going to be an early, a later phase. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you notice Blade did not get um, any did not here. Yeah. Which makes you wonder, is is Blade being moved to a Disney Plus series? Dunno. Or, or maybe has the pandemic causing everything to pause, given them a chance to sort of rearrange things a little bit? Because even stuff that's currently coming out has been rearranged slightly. You know, like Black Widow should have been out before Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, we didn't mention that. There's also footage from Black Widow. In, in oh this yeah, thing. yeah. Which hopefully we'll finally be getting in July. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but yeah, but that that was a nice little surprise to see the uh, the four inside the circle uh, at the the very end of the reel. Yeah, yeah. It's of course no date attached to that one. Sure, sure. Um, although I think they previously said something like uh, uh, th- th- there was a tentative like possible. Like year attached at one point, well, but I don't know what that is now. Twenty twenty four, probably, probably. Um, but of course, that's going to be directed by John Watts, who did the MCU Spider Man movies. The last film of Phase Four coming out in twenty twenty four, which introduces the Fantastic Four. So, uh, so what villain do you think they do? I mean, they're probably going to do Doom because Doom needs to be done well. That, that's that. That was uh, so. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Van Allen Plexico posted a, a poll where he yep. was asking, Friend so which, which villain is it? Uh, and uh, and I, I voted for Doom because, honestly, they somebody needs to get Doom right. I voted for Scrolls because uh, I could see it being Scrolls. I could see them holding off on Doom. But really, it's probably going to be Doom because Doom is just so big. He's like Thanos-level big. But really, if we're being honest, the, I, I voted for Doom mainly because Red Ghost and his super apes was not an option. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the last episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier yeah. came out uh, yeah. oh, a few weeks ago now at this point. Was it a week ago? How, old, how long? Time has no meaning anymore, What Trey. is time? Yeah, but... Uh, it came out. It was good. I liked it. Yep. We see uh, Sam Wilson. So- sorry. Uh, we should probably lower the spoiler gate. <laughs> oh, yes. Sorry. If you have not yet watched the season finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that happens in it. So this is your spoiler warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There you go. So yeah, Sam Wilson has taken on the role of Captain America. Yes, officially, as in all of the Marvel social media has replaced uh, Steve Rogers with Sam Wilson. Nice, even a little emoji. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a cute little Sam and, Wilson cap, and and that pays off so well. Like when he shows up in that suit with the shield, yeah. like it just feels good. I will say the costume itself, just the white rubbery headpiece looks a little weird but okay sure I'll accept it I mean well so that's the problem of it's very comics accurate and like I was saying sometimes very comics accurate does not translate well to film yeah I'm, I'm just not sure you needed the, the piece going from the neck to the goggles mm. I think you could have gotten well, right, away with it, just but that's, like that's like his classic falcon look right it's like the head yes. kind of thing yes I, I get that it's fine. It just doesn't translate well to film, I don't think. No. <laughs> it's it's the same reason why, like, 
if if they ever put Gambit in an X Men movie. Oh man! <laughs> like you, that costume doesn't work in real life. No. For one thing, no one from New Orleans wears a full length trench coat. <laughs> right. Well, and if your whole deal is being a member of the Thieves Guild, you're not gonna wear metal shoes. <laughs> Where is the thief? Clink, 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 clink. <laughs> but also the head sock thing just looks goofy. It looks very goofy. And like, you know, bright fluorescent pink right. uh, armor. Like, these are terrible choices for a thief. Yeah. Yeah. But back to Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. Or should we say Captain America and Winter Soldier? I think that's we really should. what we get in this episode. Yep. Uh, we get uh, a nice little wrap up sort of with uh, uh, John Walker. Yep. Uh, who is now officially the U.S. agent. Yep. Black costume and all. Yep. Um, I find it very funny that they chose that set for that, probably just because Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus only had was only available for one day for shooting. Right. Right. So they have that reveal in that courtroom, basically, in that meeting chamber for some reason. You know, that right. makes absolutely no goddamn sense. Yeah, I'm sure it's just what set was available when she was there. Yep. Yep. Um, also, um, Sharon Carter is apparently the power broker. Yep. But also is back in the CIA. Yep. But is also, according to fan speculation, maybe a scroll. I've heard people suggest things like that, that maybe this is not really Sharon Carter. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. between Civil War and now. But here's the thing. We haven't met Sharon Carter that much. She's not had that much screen time before this. So who are we to say that this version of Sharon Carter is not a cynical person that so she is here? It doesn't line up with the vibe that you get from her in... Like, like for example, when she speaks at Peggy's funeral. Yeah. And and the various times she helps Steve uh, in, in those movies. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, characters can evolve, they can change based on like the way they exist in the world so I, I could see it going either way she could actually be this jaded and cynical and broken by especially the, the post-snap mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Universe um, could also be a scroll. could go either way I mean, to be fair like people were shocked by the MCU Jasper Sitwell reveal in Captain America Winter Soldier, but, you know, how much have we really gotten to know the guy before that point? Right. Well, and the people who were most shocked by that were people who know who Sitwell was in Marvel Comics, you know? Like, it's not that anything in the movies had shown us that Sitwell was this awesome guy. It was that we knew who he was supposed to be in the comics. And I think similarly with Sharon Carter, like, she's been around for so long in comics that it's hard not to think of the comics version sort of overlaying with the movie version. Mm Mm-hmm. So, overall, it was fun. Yeah, I, I still think that the Flag Smashers were not the most compelling villains. No. In that, that there's this thing that Marvel does sometimes where their idea of a, of a compelling villain is uh, introduce someone who makes some valid points about the problems in society, and then they start killing civilians. Yeah. Yeah. And... It, it's uh, the Killmonger problem. Yes, and supposedly there was going to be more to the Flag Smasher story mm-hmm. before COVID cuts filming short. Apparently yeah. there might have been a, actually been a whole pandemic 
storyline or a, or a virus's affecting people storyline, but may, they decided maybe that wasn't the best way to go. That that that's sort of my takeaway. Is it felt like there were one to two episodes missing? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, uh, Bucky kind of seems to just kind of fade into the background in the, in the yeah. last episode. That, that, well, because they set up all of this stuff with him in terms of his personal demons, mm-hmm. which sort of get woven through the early episodes, but by mm-hmm. the second half of the series, mostly disappear until the very end of the final episode. Yes, and he, we see him start the conversation with the guy whose son he killed, but we don't right. see the conversation. We just see him leaving afterwards right. And, right. and choosing not to go to lunch with him later. I, I, I still would have liked to see the conversation. The, the one thing that I did really like about that scene is the suggestion is the conversation was cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, because in that last scene, he's wearing what appears to be his old coat from his World War II days. Mm. Like he is dressing like Bucky Barnes again, not like the Winter Soldier. Mm. <laughs> well, oh, good. I mean, I missed that because I'm an idiot, but still, uh, that's good. Good for him. So just, just in terms of like him reclaiming his identity, it feels like progress was made. Okay. Uh, we we could have had that progress spelled out a little better. But, yeah. But I think the implication is it was there. I also enjoyed the brief moments of him and John Walker kind of sort of working together in the third act. Yep. Oh, and before I forget, also, very recently, um, Kevin Feige gave an interview as part of a uh, an article about WandaVision and the production of WandaVision, and in it, Feige reveals that they actually had a deal in place for Doctor Strange to appear in WandaVision. Ooh. Um, which could have been cool. However... Uh, they probably rightly decided that Doctor Strange showing up would have taken too much of the focus off of Wanda. Yeah, I agree. That would have made it less character-driven, which I, I get that. But, yeah. uh, but Doctor Strange showing up would have explained something that never really gets paid off in the series as it aired. And that's that the fake commercials that appeared in most of the episodes of WandaVision would have been revealed to be attempts by Doctor Strange to break through the barrier and make contact with Wanda. That's cool. I, I would have liked yeah. that. I mean, I still love the commercials, even the weird shark one. The weird shark one. But I agree it would have taken the focus off Wanda, and I like yeah. the way it ended. Yeah, the, the way Feige puts it, uh, he says, quote, We didn't want the end of the show to be commoditized to go to the next movie. Here's the white guy. Let me show you how your powers work. Yep. So... And I feel, did we kind of get that with Falcon and Winter Sol- Soldier? Um, I don't know. Like, we, we there's a bunch of setup in the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier for other stuff. Like, the, the suggestion that Val is recruiting people for something. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't feel like we got a sort of big overarching. There's the suggestion, of course, that the power broker is going to somehow figure into things going forward. Mm-hmm. But I feel like rather than setting up for a bunch of other MCU stuff, mostly what we got was set up for whatever the next Captain America movie might be. Especially now that we know that Captain America 4 is being developed by the showrunner for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh yeah, so that's exciting. So yeah, um, apparent, So that I think that puts to rest maybe some of the 
thoughts that we'd get a Captain America and and Winter Soldier season two. But at the same time, Maybe. I'm not mad about Sam Wilson getting his own movie. No. And I, I could even see them doing a Captain America and Winter Soldier maybe series, even if it's just a single season, after the fourth movie, you know? Like, yeah. I, there's no reason why these characters can't bounce between streaming and cinematic. Exactly. Speaking of bouncing around, we're <laughs> going to do a quick tone change. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of... We're going to come back with the comics we're covering on this episode, including Werewolf by Night, number 20, Master of Kung Fu, number 19, featuring the Man-Thing and some guy named Shang-Chi. Ever heard of him, Trey? (laughs) As well as Supernatural Thrillers, number 8. We'll be right back with Werewolf by Night after these messages. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, Spongebob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Jason Bateman (laughs) is Teen Wolf 2. Todd Howard is a regular guy. Bye. With a couple of problems. You just hit me with a dead frog. Just like his cousin Scott. Feeling a little furry in there, buddy? The good news is he's going to college. This fine young man carries our hopes and dreams into the ring. The bad news is he's going through a few changes. And when you do change, I'm going to be there to take you straight to the top. I don't howl. You don't see any fangs, do you? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> Do you love me? Hey. Sometimes the answer to all your problems is staring you right in the face. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our first issue this episode is Werewolf by Night, number 20, Eye of the Wolf. Cover date on this one is August 1974. Writer is Doug Munch. Artist is Don Perlin. Inker is Vince Coletta. Letter is Dave Hunt. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Editor is Roy Thomas. A crescent moon hangs in the sky as, R- as Jack Russell and Raymond Coker meet in the park and discuss their common curse of lycanthropy, unaware that yet another previously unseen third werewolf watches their interaction. A werewolf wearing a distinctive eye-shaped ring 
The two previously known werewolves discuss the fact that the seemingly only cure for their curse is for one of them to kill the other before parting, and Jack returns to his concern for his sister Liza, who was kidnapped by Mom Mayhem in the previous issue. Back at his apartment, Jack is visited Jack is visited first by his beautiful neighbor by his beautiful neighbor Clary, and then by Detective Hackett, who steals Jack's sandwich and reveals to Jack that he suspects Coker of being the werewolf, and enlists Jack's aid in stopping him. Una- unable to sleep after after unable to sleep after the detective's visit, Jack takes up Clary on her earlier invitation of a date, and the two end up in a swanky club. They are not there five minutes before another man hits on Clary and joins the two young people's table. The older man, Geraldo Cabal, states that he is a fan of Clary's films and wishes to present her with the gift of a strange eye-shaped ring. Jack feels strangely drawn to the ring and instantly snatches it and puts it on his own finger. When Cabal also subtly references knowing of Baron Thunder, Jack gets the Baron's address from him and rushes off to hopefully rescue Liza. Upon arriving at the Baron's creepy old haunted house, Jack discovers that the ring allows him to transform to the werewolf just by thinking about it, while still retaining his human intelligence and reason. Despite this intelligence, he, is, he in short order falls through a trapdoor and finds Liza chained to a wall, and is met by Mom Mayhem, actually a beautiful blonde rather than a hag, and the bare-chested Baron Thunder. The Baron and the werewolf fight, during which the two villains reveal they are aware of the ring's properties, as well as their desire for werewolf blood to grant super strength, or something. The werewolf slams the Baron into one of the many computer banks lying the wall, tipping it over onto the Baron and setting the structure aflame. As the werewolf and Liza escape the burning house from a Scooby-Doo episode, the ring is knocked from the werewolf's finger, transforming him back into Jack Russell. The two siblings drive away as the house and cliffside explode behind them, seemingly with more questions than answers. Woo! Wolfring, do your thing. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, this feels very Hanna-Barbera. It does. It's also not good at all. No. No. It's a terrible issue. It is a terrible issue. For one thing, uh, as far as art quality goes, this is definitely the low um, man on the totem pole as far as compared to the other two issues we're covering this episode. Yeah, there's not a single... Normally, in a Werewolf by Night issue, there's at least like one page I can point to and be like, well, at least that's cool, mm-hmm. you know? Whether it's a splash or a montage or a transformation or something. But this issue has nothing. Absolutely nothing. It looks like it was written ten years earlier, at least. Yes. Or drawn ten years earlier, at least. So, recently I was reading the MST3K comic book that Dark Horse put out. Yeah. Where yeah. Mike... It's a good book. Sorry, not Mike. Yeah, for where Jonah, Crow, Tom Servo, and the rest get transported into old public domain comic books, yep. usually from the 50s, early 60s. This looks like one of those. Yeah. It, In fact, one of the other comics we're looking at this episode has a reprint as a backup story, and it looks kind of like this. Yes. Although, we should point out the other one is Steve Ditko. And which it actually looks better than yes, this. Yes, it looks better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
culturally insensitive portrayals of um, Romani people aside, it looks better than this. Right, right. But, uh, like, the whole time I couldn't... It keeps reminding me of... You ever see that, that like, straight-to-video or, like, made-for-TV Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf? I, re- I vividly remember the trailer for it that would play on a VHS of other Hanna-Barbera stuff that I had. <laughs> yeah. It was it was always one of those let-down Scooby-Doo things. You're like, you're like, ah, oh, cool, some Scooby-Doo to watch. Ah, oh, man, it's Scooby-Doo and his Reluctant Because that werewolf. was one of the, like... That was one of the, like, 80s, 90s direct-to-video ones, right? Yeah, and it's Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy-Doo. Oh, of course it was. It's so bad. Like, Dracula has a drag race. And because the werewolf punked out on him, he has to find a new werewolf, so he makes Shaggy into a werewolf. Yeah. It's so bad. And this issue is so bad. And he, Okay, so here's art aside, because the, the art is not good. But even setting aside the art, there are storytelling issues here. Yes. Because this is a comic that is paying off a storyline that the book hasn't really dealt with in, like, three issues. Like, if you count the giant size, like, Baron Thunder and Ma Mayhem had not appeared since issue 18 of this book. Wow. So, so right off the bat, they're forcing you to try and remember stuff that happened months ago, and they're not doing a great job of, like, getting you back up to speed or making you care. Because that's the thing, is if you've abandoned that story for two issues in a row, counting the giant size, like, it feels like it's not important anymore. So wait, does that mean Liza has been missing for, like, months now? Yes, it does. That's not good. That's not good. Right. <laughs> right. Now, in story, we don't know how much time has passed. But yeah, we're, we're talking like at least two months. And Jack's seeming seeming lack of caring that his sister is missing is ridiculous. Right. Which has carried over from the previous issues. Like, yes. that has been a thing for a while. Like, oh, my sister's missing. Kidnapped by evil crime syndicate who wants to experiment Better go on, a date. on me. Yeah, let's go on a date. <laughs> like, what? What's going Ah! Um... So, so that, that's one thing, is that it's not doing a good job of making the story feel urgent, uh, which it desperately needs. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's just incompetent, because it is not immediately obvious that the mysterious werewolf at the beginning of the book is, in fact, our detective character. Is it the, is it the detective? It is. It is. Okay, so it is... Um... Hackett, or that's the re- that's the reason Hackett shows up knowing the identity of one of the werewolves. Okay, like he is he is showing up to pit the werewolves against each other. So he knows that Jack's the werewolf too, then. Right. He he is sending them into opposition. Okay, because I because I figured because he references detective work, it was either right. Jack that that is that is your only clue. Yes. Okay, but if Hackett, that means Hackett has to be working for the committee. Because the ring shows up with Geraldo. Is it Geraldo or Geraldo? Um, uh, who knows? It, Probably it, Geraldo. It it, it it ends up with skeezy lawyer guy later. Right, right. When he's pres- um, he's gifting it to Clary. Um, and of course, it's pretty obvious that he's gifting it to Clary with the intention that Jack take it. Right. Um, so I'm wanting to say what little foreknowledge of the future in this book that I have, Lou Hackett's... The explanation for Lou Hackett taking this path 
is even stupider than you think. Oh, no. <laughs> I already think it's pretty stupid. I know. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, okay, Hackett, who up to this point has seemed like this upstanding guy, all-American kind of detective, is working for the uh-huh. committee. Okay. Yeah. Fine. You're, it's a freaking identical ring, isn't it? It does the same damn thing. What do you mean? Is it a different ring that Hackett has? Yes, it is a different ring. God damn Oh, man. That makes no sense. And that's not even the stupid part. Oh, no. I'm not gonna spoil. I'm not gonna spoil it for you. But it's getting real stupid real soon. Oh, I see you appreciate my pain. <laughs> oh, speaking of Hackett, he steals Jack's sandwich. He does. That's just he does. That's just cruel. Yeah. First, in, when I was reading, because the one of the, the last panels with Hackett has him picking up the glass of milk, I was like, "Is he gonna drink the milk before he leaves?" <laughs> oh, and of course, it, it, it gains other levels when you realize that Hackett knows that Jack is the werewolf. Oh yeah, like yeah, like all of the like keep up your strength stuff and yeah. the milk is good for your teeth. This, and... this is a total dominance move. Yes, this is a yes, t- like eating his sandwich in front of him and then. Making him drink his milk like a good boy. It's just... Um, yep. Again, Jack's so casual about his sister being kidnapped here. And he's going on dates with other women. Topaz who? Right, right. Like... Which, it's gonna be a minute before we see her again, I think. But isn't he supposed to be waiting for her? Something like that. I don't think there was a discussion anywhere in there about like, Hey, it's fine if you date other people, I'm gone. I'm cool, totally cool with that. <laughs> right. Okay with that. Yeah. It's, it's not, um, it's like, my wife doesn't go out of town for a weekend. I'm like, hey, that means I'm allowed to date other people. <laughs> right. Uh, we will not be seeing her again until, and I don't know which comes first, but either Giant Size Werewolf number three or Werewolf by Night number 27. Okay, then. So, so it's going to be a minute. So, like, all of this, but, like, we agree that, like, Geraldo Cabal... The whole thing with him is a setup by the committee. I guess. I guess it has to be. It doesn't make any sense. Because... Like, the, the, the whole dinner scene seems like a really contrived way to get him that ring. Yes. But also, to get him to the Baron's house, which is straight out of Scooby-Doo. Yes. Um, yes. And, again, um, the implication is that the ring is from um, Louis Belsky's trunk we saw previously uh, at the movie studio. Right. I think it transformed him into a vampire and now has transformed uh, and now has a ring that can transform you into a werewolf. Uh, right. So let's talk about the ring for a second there. It seemed like we had a change in status quo for a second there. Almost. Wait, it, the book had an opportunity here to go full superhero. Yes. And it... it uh, it, it, like, fully refused that opportunity. Yes. Like, the ring werewolf is like Peter David's Professor Hulk if Bruce Banner had been dumb as bricks. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, because Jack Russell is, in fact, a moron. Yes. <laughs> Complete utter moron. Uh, he, he is what I believe the kids today call a himbo. <laughs> yes. Yes. Jack Russell is a himbo. That might be our episode yes. title. Jack Russell is a <laughs> <Yes>. himbo. <laughs> Uh, and, and and also, on top of that, um, it's just a bit much for 
this is the first werewolf issue we've had since the giant size, since giant size creatures, right? Yes. Giant size creatures featured the first appearance of Tigra, in which she uses a cat amulet on a ring to control her transformations. Does she? Yes. It eventually becomes part of her costume, but in her original appearances, it's a ring. But there's no implication that it's the same ring. No, it's not. Or part of a it, set. Because she, continue, she continues using it. She Hers, she continues... I just think it's a contrivance that, like, the same thing they came up with for Tigra, the next issue of Werewolf by Night, there's a werewolf version. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings is just going to be, like, ten rings to turn you into different animals. This, this, this one turns into you a cat person. This one turns into a dog person. This one turns into an alligator person. This one turns into a fish man. Kirk Connors came up with that one. <laughs> but no, so it just seemed like a bit of a contrivance that, like, we just had cat rings, now we have werewolf rings. <laughs> oh, man. So, so. also... There's the reveal here that Ma Mayhem is, is in fact, a beautiful blonde. Right, I can't remember if that was revealed earlier or not. Right. Um, Although she... Um, It was... I think it was suggested that that wasn't her real appearance. Okay. Uh, I don't remember if we actually saw what she looked like, though. um, It is worth noting here that Ma Mayhem has robbed Mystique's closet here. Uh, Right. Well, I... My my version of that is that... Uh, she looks like Emma Frost taking costume advice from Mystique. Yes. She has the white dress that, like, you know, doesn't yep. cover much. She's got yep. the skull over the crotch. Yep. <laughs> it just... Yep. Uh, it's, although, I guess she predates Mystique, so... Right. <laughs> just... Uh, also, Baron Thunder is just so terrible. He's an awful villain. He's so bad. Like... He, he's he's a stupid kingpin knockoff. He is a stupid kingpin, kingpin knockoff. No, done nowhere near as well and without any interest behind him because I can't get interested yeah. in him at all um, good news this was both Baron Thunder and Ma Mayhem's final appearance that is good news <laughs> <laughs> that is the best thing that's the best thing about this issue <laughs> <laughs> instant collector's item <laughs> so yeah not much to recommend on this one I guess Liza has been rescued, which means we've finally ended that godforsaken story that went nowhere. Yeah. Um, I guess we're going to continue the drama of Jack and Ray and T- Detective Hackett. Yes. So we're going to have the... the... And I, I am legitimately... Again, I think I know more than you about where we're going with this. I'm, I'm curious to see how it actually plays out in the comic, though. <laughs> I, it's not going to be good. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. It's real dumb. Oh, man. All right. I might need a second to collect myself, to, to, to give myself the will to go on. Right. We're, we're, we're uh, going to take a quick break and be right back after these messages. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. 
seeing the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. Excellent. You'll want to see it again. Foo-hoo. Love it. Let's have some fun. Peter Sellers in The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. The Far East has never been so far out. Rated PG. Opens Friday, August 8th. Check newspapers for local listings. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next comic is Master of Kung Fu number 19, Retreat. The cover date is August 1974. The writer is Steve Englehart. The artist is Paul Galassi. The inker is Al Milgram. The letterer is Tom Orzachowski. The colorist is Stan Goldberg. And the editor is Roy Thomas. And I'm going to do things a little bit different because Master of Kung Fu is not a book we've been following regularly. And so I'm just going to give you a very, very quick recap of the previous issue just so you know where we're starting because it sort of begins in the middle of the action. So in the previous issue, Shang-Chi was recruited by Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and Blackjack Tar to help them defeat Shang-Chi's father, the infamous Fu Manchu. Learning his father is smuggling something into Florida, the Master of Kung Fu makes his way there and discovers that Fu Manchu is lacing oil drums with Mimosa tenuiflora, a psychoactive plant. Shang-Chi disrupts his father's operations and escapes into the swamp, but in the process is exposed to the drug and begins hallucinating. And that brings us to this issue, which opens with Shang-Chi fleeing through the Everglades, on the run from Jekin and Dahar, two of his father's assassins. While he manages to evade them, Shang-Chi continues to hallucinate from his drugging last issue. At one point, an imagined snake coiled around a tree branch appears, but when Shang-Chi strikes it, the reptile and tree morph into the Man-Thing. The Master of Kung Fu assumes that the creature is yet another figment of his imagination, until Man-Thing grabs him. Shang-Chi tries to kick the creature to escape, but his feet go all the way through its body, trapping him in the Man-Thing's torso. A wanderer named Lu Sun arrives and rescues Shang-Chi, and also makes sure that Man-Thing is unharmed. Lu Sun offers to help Shang-Chi, and the two depart, with Man-Thing following at some distance. Shang-Chi tells Lu Sun of his relationship with his father, and Lu Sun cautions him about the destructive effects revenge can have. Meanwhile, in another part of the Everglades, Fu Manchu's convoy of trucks that should have been carrying tainted gasoline are ambushed by Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and his men. Blackjack Tar throws open the door to the lead truck, but Fu Manchu has somehow vanished. As Shang-Chi rests with Lu Sun in a clearing, they are suddenly ambushed. Lu Sun is hit in the leg with arrows, and Shang-Chi is confronted again by Jaqin and Dahar. They fight, and Shang-Chi accidentally steps into quicksand. Just then, the Man-Thing intervenes, deflecting the attacks of the two assassins. Terrified, they rush toward the shambling creature, and at once, his burning touch incinerates them both. As the Man-Thing shambles away, Shang-Chi tends to Lu Sun's wounds contemplating the mindlessness of the Swamp Monster's violence, and wonders if his own path is any different. Mmm, mimosas. <laughs> I had the exact same thought. And had to. I actually had to do a little bit of research, because they just say mimosa throughout the, the issue. Uh, but there is, in fact, a, a flower, a plant, called mimosa tenuflora, which is a psychoactive plant. Like, it, like it, it is used to create like psychoactive... Um, 
ritualistic compounds and things. For when you want to put a very different spin on brunch. <laughs> so, this was weird. It was uh, not bad, but weird. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting read. Like, I don't know about you, Trey, but I've never really read any Shang-Chi before. Especially not... Not the original... Not the original run, no. Yeah, I've seen him when he showed up in other, other books. Like, you know, that time he taught Spider-Man Kung Fu. Right, right. I, I read um, that run, but... Uh, and and there was... Uh, he, he had some appearances in Secret Avengers for a while. Um, he had... That's right, he did. Some yeah. appear, uh, he had some appearances, I think, in... Um, <clears throat> There was a Daughters of the Dragon miniseries a while back that I think he appeared in briefly. Um, was he in Heroes for Hire, the one with Luke, the one from the 90s? He might have been. The, I don't remember exactly, but that feels right. The fun one with the with the, with, with the Black Knight. Right, right. And the Black, that feels right. Yeah, the Black Knight had that cool pendant with, that was a sword and shield, but you could pull the sword from the shield, and they transformed into an actual sword, sword, sword and shield, which... Right. It's cool. Yes, he was in Heroes for Hire. There you go. Okay, so I have seen... I've read more Shang-Chi than I thought I did. <laughs> uh, that was... In fact, that was his biggest appearance before Secret Avengers, was Heroes for Hire. Oh, nice. Uh, although apparently he was also involved in the, the original Marvel Knights run. Yeah, and... Let's go... I mean, we talked about this earlier, but there's there was a point where Shang-Chi just kind of disappeared from the Marvel Universe. And... Well, I mean, as as the sort of broader popularity of kung fu movies in America kind of disappeared for a while. Yeah, and also partially part of that was the rights issue. Sure, yeah, and and, and um, Fu Manchu, at, especially at that point, I don't know if that's still true, but at, at that point, Fu Manchu was still, like, a character owned by the estate of the, the original author. Yes, I think that's still <clears> the <throat> case. I think they've just okay. changed, completely changed Shang-Chi's background. Yeah, well, it, it, it's one of those things where I think there was a passing reference to... They're gonna, they, they did the thing that they're going to do in the movie. Yeah. Um, which is, that is one of many names he has used. Yeah, yeah. Um, because in the movie, they're going to do that with Mandarin. Yes. Um, and uh, just while we're talking about history of this character, uh, a weird quirk. This is... Uh, Masters of Kung Master of Kung Fu number 19, but it's technically only the fifth issue of Master of Kung Fu. What? <laughs> so, Shang-Chi first appeared in issue 15 of Special Marvel Edition. Uh-huh. He it took over the numbering of Special Marvel Edition. It took over the numbering of Special Marvel Edition. Yes. So, Special Marvel Edition was a a title that ran for uh however many issues uh, Shang-Chi appeared in it and then several issues into Shang-Chi's appearances it got retitled Master of Kung Fu okay because looking at it it looks like the first three editions the first sorry four editions were Thor the next couple mm-hmm. of editions were Nick Fury uh, in fact it was Nick Fury from issue five to gosh ten no, sorry. 11. I know the one. No, I know the one right before Shang Chi debuts is a Sergeant Fury special. So it's yeah, Sergeant Fury from five to fourteen, and then it's... and then fifteen. Fifteen is the debut of Shang Chi. Yep. Uh, and so he's in fifteen, sixteen, 
And then with 17, it becomes Master of Kung Fu. Yes. So, so Master of Kung Fu number 19 is only the fifth issue of Master of Kung Fu. That is... Yep, because 15 is the iron-fisted first issue. Yep. Iron-fisted first issue of the 15th <laughs> Yep. Oh. And it, so, at, as of, I think, issue uh, 17, with issue 17, the Marvel Special uh, Edition goes away. Like, that title disappears from the cover. Interesting. Marvel had weird things back in the day. Because yeah. remember, that's yeah. the whole thing about, like, they weren't allowed to have more than, like, eight titles on a stand at a time. Right, and that was imposed by the fact that they were effectively being distributed by DC. Yeah. But I think this was past that. <clears throat> mm. Then it may have just been a budgetary reason. Yeah. Also, people did not like to buy books that were issue ones until, like, the yeah. 80s. Yeah. It's kind of the reverse of what it is now, where these days... You know, they'll they'll drop a new number one in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, part of that is because it is going towards the magazine mark, not the the newsstand distributor. And right, newsstand right. buyers, buyers for the newsstand, didn't like picking up books at a number one because that kind of they felt, they felt obligated to carry everything after that. If you start from a right. higher number, there's the idea that, oh, you're not taking your risk. This is an established title. You'll be good. Right. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's sold well enough to have that many issues already. Yes. Um, another interesting quirk about this issue in particular, number 19, um, it is Shang-Chi co-creator Steve Englehart's final issue of the book. Oh, wow. Um, with with the next issue, he would be replaced by uh, fill-in writer Jerry Conway. Um, and eventually, uh, Doug Minch takes over for a big, long run. And Doug Minch is really the one who, and I mispronounced his name earlier. Made it popular. Yeah, uh, but it, he's, he's really the one who made it popular. Yeah, and and the artist on, on this issue, Paul Galassi, had just taken over in the previous issue from uh, other co-creator Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin left the book because when he signed on to do it, he was not familiar with Fu Manchu. And when he realized how racist the source material was, he wanted off. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, have you seen no. um, the, the MST3K episode? Oh, yeah. It's pretty bad. That's the, the one with the Christopher Lee performance, right? Yeah. Where? Yeah, it's bad. I think There's a whole series of those with Christopher the Lee. The Castle of Fu Manchu. And I'm, I, yep. I'm not certain, but I think that's the one where Tom Servo just screams at the movie, and... <laughs> that sounds about right. That is the worst of those. Um, and of course, before Christopher Lee, uh, Boris Karloff had a run as Fu Manchu. Hold on, let me see if we find it. No, it isn't. It isn't Castle Manchu. What movie is it? Uh, oh no! It's Batwoman! Oh. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. That's another one that really just needs to. <laughs> oh my god. I couldn't watch Batwoman as a kid. The Batwoman. It's rough. The, the Batwoman episode? It just makes no yep. sense whatsoever. Yep. Yep. Um,. But yeah, so Paul Galassi took over from Jim Starlin in number 18. So this is his second issue. He stays on the book through issue 51. Okay. His So he does a big... Which means he does a big chunk of the, the Doug Minch run, too. So let's talk about his artwork here, because it is fantastic. It's great. I th Even if I wasn't... Because having not read this book from the beginning, 
it was a little difficult to get into the story. I did a little bit of research so that I could give you the, the recap of the previous issue. I appreciate it. But still, but still, we didn't have a lot to go on jumping into this. But thank goodness the art is awesome. It, like, there's that first page of just, like, Man-Thing perched in a tree. And you're like, it never occurred to me that Man-Thing might perch in a tree. It's, it, 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 it's really good. Wow. Yeah. That's, ooh. Because he's, like, part of the tree, too. And you don't realize, right. like, if you just looked at it, you might even not even realize that it's something beyond just, like, a tree. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's Man-Thing. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is that Galassi is doing things visually with Man-Thing that never occurred to me, and apparently never occurred to any of the previous artists, either. Yep, it's it, it's good stuff. And you can tell this is a book where a lot of thought goes into the physicality of the characters, because it's so much about the martial arts. Um, like, the way that Shang-Chi moves and poses, like, he... Galassi brings some of that to Man-Thing, too. The care is taken into the way that Man-Thing is shown to move and pose and position himself in the panel. Yep. It's, it, it, I really appreciate it. Uh, and um, I also can't help but laugh a little bit at the, uh, the panels of, uh, of Shang-Chi getting pulled out of the Man-Thing's torso, feet first. Yes. Although, we should probably talk about the fact, where the heck did Sun Lu Sun come from? Um, it is not explained, and he never appears again. Like, have we missed the ran- random Asian man roaming the... the One... Roaming <laughs> Citrusville? Where has this guy been in all of these issues of man Yes, exactly. Like, like, did he meet Howard? Like, was he around when that weirdness was going on? Did he meet Fool Killer? Is this where Howard learned qu- Quack-Fu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is unclear where he came from. He just seems to be, like, a wanderer. Yep. Uh, and and I, I looked into it, and he never appears again. That's weird. He just, he, yeah. he takes an arrow to the knee, which uh, you Skyrim and players out there, that Shang- one's for you. <laughs> and Shang-Chi bandages his wounds, and then just walks away and leaves him propped up against a tree. Yep, where he presumably dies. <laughs> because even having been bandaged, he probably can't put a lot of weight on that leg. Nope. We never see him again. Sad, really. Obviously, Man-Thing comes back and eats him. Man-Thing doesn't eat people. (laughs) Stop that. (laughs) Stop that. Uh, But what Man-Thing does do is cause assassins to erupt in flames in gorgeous double-page spreads. (laughs) That is such a good double-page spread. (laughs) I want that as a poster. Oh, man. Like, that is the most pyrotechnic display of man things powers we've ever seen. Yes. It is like Yes. <laughs> and with man thing just sort of looming over the explosion. Just completely like, impassive. I want that as a black light poster. Oh man. <laughs> oh. Yes. Just like we really are the era of 70s comics where we need like a black light poster and um, some special brownies or <laughs> something. <laughs> Um, another thing that just occurred to me reading this, because there, there's the bit in the middle where Shang-Chi briefly recaps his origin, mm-hmm. which is helpful for those of us that have not been reading the series regularly. Um, <laughs> but a thing that occurred to me, the original premise of the Master of Kung Fu book is kind of the Tomb of Dracula formula applied to Fu Manchu. Oh? 
you've got a previously unrevealed relative of the of the villain who now has joined a team of people in opposition to that villain. Oh god damn it. <laughs> you know, that isn't my biggest oh god damn it moment of this episode, but ah oh, god damn it. <laughs> But isn't it? Isn't it the same formula? In its original premise, like, as in, like, this early in the book. Now, it probably evolves as it goes on, mm-hmm. especially as they lose the rights to things. But but in this early moment, they are just applying the Tomb of Dracula formula to Fu Manchu. Oh, they are. Like, like uh, Nayland Smith is Quincy Harker. Yep, yep. <laughs> I am sorry for breaking you. No, you're fine. Anyway... Do we have anything else to say about this issue? Uh, just, I liked it. You know, it's, it, there's not a lot to it. The, again, because we've not been following the book regularly, it's hard to be too invested in the story. Yeah. But it's so pretty, and, and the action is so well done, that it's just fun to read. Yeah, my thinking was, I've always thought for years, like, oh, there's no way a, a, a martial arts title could work in comics. Because part of the fun of martial arts movies is seeing them do the moves seeing how they move, the fluidity and the motion, and you're like, there's no way that could work as a comic. Well, apparently I'm wrong, because this is this works really well. Yeah, I think that's all we have to say about it. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back with uh, Supernatural Thrillers number eight, right after these messages. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. we got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. Space and time, two dimensions we dream of conquering, but perhaps they have already been conquered, not by man, but a form of intelligence far more evolved and far more powerful, a time walker, the discovery. They simply sealed him alive in a corner of tomb. The awakening. This was in the coffin. The search. Ow! It looks like some kind of wiring schematic. The power. Nobody's that strong. Crystals could be used as transmitters. The cells are multiplying at a rate so fast I can hardly measure it. The confrontation is definitely no longer dormant.
now, our time belongs to him. The story of a journey home. Time Walker. Nothing can stop him. Not even time. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Our next and last issue this episode is Supernatural Thrillers number 8, featuring The Living Mummy. Cover date on this one is August 1974. Writer is Tony Isabella. Artist is Val Myrick. Inker is Val Myrick. Letter is Tom Rosachowski. Colorist is Glenn Sween. Editor is Roy Thomas. After being teleported away in his last issue, Nkantu, the living mummy, finds himself floating around a space-like void. Upon setting foot upon a rocky planetoid in the void, he is set upon by rock monsters and beat into unconsciousness. When he awakens, he finds himself met by beings that resemble gods, the elementals. The elementals tell Nkantu of how they once ruled over ancient Egypt until they were thwarted by a warrior named Dan and a wizard named Garrett. The two created a ruby scarab and used his power to banish the would-be gods from our reality. The elementals reveal that they have summoned the living mummy to this realm so that he may capture the ruby scarab for them and in payment they will restore him to life. Unwilling to sentence the human race to slavery like he knew when he was among the living, Nkantu refuses, and so the elementals use their power to take control of the mummy and send him back to Earth. So not much happens in this issue. Right. And yet, I really enjoy it. Yeah. No, it was fun. So it's it's a weird issue. It's a weird issue. Because somehow, Nkantu has ended up in a 1965 Doctor Strange story. Yes. Like, he is in full-on, like, Ditko space. Yes. Like, with planetoids and stuff. Yes, to the point where I had to make sure that, like, the rock monsters that attacked him were not nameless ones. Right, right. Although they are nameless and they are rocky, they are not one-eyed beasts. Right, right. They are, in fact, I'm wondering if they're meant to be manifestations of Magnum's power. Although, you know... You say there's a chance he ended up in a 1965 Doctor Strange comic. It's just as likely he has ended up in a 1960s Charlton Blue Beetle comic because the warrior and the wizard who banished him are named Dan Garrett. <laughs> yeah. What the hell, yeah. Tony Isabella? <laughs> well, here's the... Uh, while we're making connections, did you recognize the name of the guy with the, the scarab? That Inkantu has been sent after? No. Um, because it's it's they give it at one point. Professor Abdul, right? Mm-hmm. He's a guy in Marvel with a very long history. Oh dear. Mostly X-Men. What? Does the living monolith ring a bell? No! No! Oh no! <laughs> oh, going on? We're getting full-on weird Marvel Universe here. <laughs> like, just like, what? What is this? Ahmet Abdul, the living monolith. Ah! Remember when he fought Nova? Yeah. Th- that was fun. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, they're, they're, we're not anywhere near this being a thing in comics yet, but of course they will eventually retcon uh, living monolith to connect him to Insabonur. To, of course, to, is, to apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. I, mm, I, mm, I, 
The living mummy. <laughs> the living mummy. <laughs> right. Now, I don't know if he will be the living monolith in this issue, or in, in the, the next issue. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. But... Who knows? <laughs> but that is definitely the character who, in other comics, is the living monolith. God, you know, my whole thought here was that, like, Tony Isabella is trying too hard to be Steve Gerber. But right? apparently just Tony Isabella just... <laughs> what the heck? Wait, has... Has wait, Living Monolith has appeared by this point, right? Uh, well, so he starts out as the Living Pharaoh. Yeah, because he's he fights. He has this whole thing of havoc and X Men. Yeah, well, and he, even before that, I think he was in like he was in a late sixties X Men, like X Men. Yeah, his first appearance. His first appearance is X Men Fifty Four, which is March nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, with there's the whole thing with havoc and like right. He, he's using havoc's powers or something because it, it was it was Alex Summers' first appearance. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yep. Yeah, and and that was that was an Arnold Drake Don Heck book. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, Abdul. <laughs> didn't think that'd be coming up, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, like I, I thought because of the Blue Beetle thing that it might be a play on Ted Cord. I'm like, no, nope, right? Nope, nope. The name doesn't. Nope. Can't can't construe that to be Ted Cord. Nope. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Oh, and we still don't really know what the deal is with Doctor Scarab. Like, no, I still think he's villainy. He makes a brief appearance here. Probably. I didn't talk about the summary. Yeah, he he he's got a psychic connection to the mummy for some reason. Yeah, because he just knows that it's in Egypt now. Yep. Wow. Weird book. Uh, <laughs> I love the opening splash page, which sets up all of the cosmic weirdness that comes after. Mm-hmm. Like, just something about the image of, like, a very classic-looking mummy flying through the cosmos. Yes. Oh, and yet... You imagine the reverse shot of that could easily be, like, Galactus or Ego or something. Yep. But it's a mummy. It's kind of like that old joke from Crisis Crisis, Mummy Rocket Boots. <laughs> this is Mummy Acid Trip. <laughs> um... Yeah, the, the art is probably the best part of the issue. Because, again, like we said, not a whole lot happens, really. No. But it's very pretty to look at. It is very pretty. And, again, Val Myrick, we, we know him, of course, and love him from Man-Thing. Yeah. Uh, this is just a whole different level, and it's fun. It really is. Um, it make it honestly makes me want to see a Val Myrick, like, cosmic book, you know? Yeah. And I like, I like Encantu doesn't even hesitate in his story. Yeah. He's just like, oh, human race and servitude? Nope, I don't dig that. Yep, been there, tried that, wasn't fun. Nope, not a fan. It's um, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, couple notes from the letters page. Uh, in particular, um, one person writes, uh, Dear sirs, please inform me whether gals can be fans also. I'm really turned on by your far-out mags, and I'd really be delighted to join your club. I simply love action and adventure, both of which your magazines offer. I always read the letters pages in your magazines, and it strikes me that you don't seem to have any female fans. I'm sure there are females who dig action and excitement as much as I do. I'll be waiting for an answer. Meanwhile, continue your excellent work and make mine marvel. Yeah, I'm glad that they're being clear here that the ladies can enjoy the marvel too. Yeah, and there's a nice response where they say, yes, anyone can be a Marvel fan. Anyone can join Foom, regardless of age, race, sex, or creed. 
The only requirement is that you dig our mags. And that, that that's, that's nice. nice. And, and, and then they further they further go on to like basically implore any women reading, please write in. We like to hear more perspectives and more responses to our work uh, in the letters pages. That's nice. Yeah. I'm glad they're making uh, it clear to anybody could be a fan of old Marvel. Sorry. I on the flip side, <laughs> on the flip side, there's a, a letter from Jim R. Spore of uh, Cuyahoga Falls, and uh, he basically just spends his whole letter accusing Marvel of having a liberal agenda, which I guess goes to show that everything old is new again. Yep. Yep. Keep your politics out of my allegories of on human nature. Right. Um, What's his problem on this one? Uh, well, he his it's not even specifically about uh, living mummy. He he literally just runs down like uh, your supporting characters are always the same clean, long-haired youths who only want to love, as opposed to the people with short gray hair whose only purpose is to see that others don't enjoy themselves. What's more, the villains who are all bad are always the conservatives. Schist, Ramrod, Fool Killer, Hangman, Stiletto, and so on. Does that mean that anyone who agrees politically with them must be perverted, insane, or fanatic? Yes. While Satan is the major character in several magazines, God is nowhere to be seen. As a fan of the there occult, are of I can it's enjoy like well written stories. <laughs> but as a Christian, I am insulted by the bias. A magazine that admits the existence of Satan must return the compliment with the inclusion of the Judeo-Christian God. There are no counterparts to Ghost Rider or Fool Killer. No crusader, no fanatical atheist. You know, you say this, but Tony Isabella is going to put Jesus in a Ghost Rider issue, and you guys are going to lose your <laughs> shit. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's a we. It's a weird letter, uh, and and the the response goes on to point out that the villains that he lists are not evil because they are conservative, but because they have closed minds. That they are not open to different ideas or experiences. <laughs> uh, uh, mm. and, and then they, they question, like, to what degree a comic could effectively portray God without seriously offending someone. I, I believe I already made that point, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the last thing on the, on the letters page is we've got a, a new value stamp, and it is the Ancient One. Ooh, isn't he dead? Uh, yes, and and weirdly not at all looking like Tilda Swinton. Oh, how odd. Must not have been able to get the likeness rights. Right, right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a fun issue. I, I don't know if there's a lot to say about it besides that, but it's fun. No. I, I am, I'm curious to see where it goes next. Okay, so you've probably looked this up where I have not. Okay. Are, are we supposed to know the elementals from, some, from somewhere? This is their first appearance. Okay, but is it their last appearance? No, no. Um, they have a solid, like, 15 appearances. Okay, and is it all Living Mummy or what? Uh, so, looks like all of the Living Mummy issues just about. Um, also a couple appearances in Ms. Marvel. Um, maybe an Astonishing Thor appearance. Okay. Um, a couple of the appearances don't count. because So the Marvel Wiki does this. They will list appearances... That include things like the Handbook of the Marvel Universe. Gotcha. Um, they've got they've got three different handbook appearances. So call it twelve appearances in actual comics. Okay. Gotcha. So not a huge run of appearances, but they're notable enough that uh, last time I was at the comic shop, uh, they actually had this issue 
in stock in the back issues bin, and it had a sticker on it. First appearance elementals. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Um, anyway, it's okay. So, <clears throat> man, you gotta edit all this out because I can't think what to say. Uh, well, I mean, so we've got three very different comics this episode. Very different. That, that we've talked about. It's probably the most scattered range of, of styles and qualities that we've had in a, in a while. Um, and I think it's fair to say, I, I don't know what your ranking would be, but but I, I think probably my favorite is going to be the Master of Kung Fu issue, mm-hmm. followed by Supernatural Thrillers with Werewolf by Night way at the bottom. Well, I, for my part, actually think I prefer the Supernatural Thrillers issue just barely over the yeah. Shang-Chi issue. That's fair. I mean, they, they are very close in quality. I, I think, and they're both sort of refreshing reads in different ways. Yes. They, they are both a nice change of pace from the kind of stuff we usually cover. Yeah. It, it just... It's it's fun weirdness different from the usual weirdness we read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's good weird and there's bad weird. And this episode, we got a little bit of both. We got a little bit of the good weird. Yeah, yeah and then Werewolf was bad weird. Yeah, Werewolf was bad. It, again, it's, it's Hanna-Barbera Werewolf. It is. It is. Actually, no. And the... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the title is Hanna-Barbera Himbo. <laughs> Yeah, it's... But it, yeah, at the very least, Mummy and, and Master of Kung Fu were both just a lot of fun. They were. They were. And really good art for both. And yeah, then everything's yeah. just terrible about Werewolf. Right, right. Well, and, and good art that also, again, it, it looks different from what we've seen before. We covered, we covered two different Man-Thing stories in our last episode. And in those stories, like, you don't see any of the kind of dynamic movement with Man-Thing that you see in this one. Yeah, as as much as we love Mike Plug. Sure. It's just a very different style. Very different. Anyway, Trey, I think that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. It does. So, you, lovely listener, if you want to reach out to us, you can always reach us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. And, of course, you can always reach us on Twitter. It's at Tomb of Ideas. That's right. And we right. are proud members of the Cinepunks podcasting group. Trey, tell them about Cinepunks. That means you can find our entire back catalog on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. Um, in addition to our show, you'll find a lot of other great podcasts. Of course, the flagship Cinepunks podcast, Black Sun Dispatches, Cinema Smorgasbord, uh horror business, all kinds of cool stuff, in addition to a lot of really great uh, articles and and, and write-ups and reviews about movies, music, TV, general pop culture stuff. So be sure to check out Cinepunks.com. That's right. And next episode, we'll be talking about Marvel Team-Up number 24 and Monsters Unleashed number 7. I'm really looking forward to another Marvel Team-Up. Who's this one? Uh, 24? Um... Is it the Brother Voodoo one? Might be. I think it is. <clears throat> yep, it's Spider-Man Brother Voodoo. Nice. Yeah. Not done Brother Voodoo yet. Nope, nope. That's that's awesome. Uh, so. And until we hear from you, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas.
a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tubers Excelsior. <laughs>